Welcome to Transform Now, the podcast brought to you by robotic process automation pioneer, Blue Prism. Digital transformation has the potential to reshape the way companies service their customers, engage their employees, and manage their operations. Whether you're looking to develop strategies, tactics, and best practices to positively impact the future of work, or you're curious to learn how other companies have successfully navigated their digital transformation programs, then this podcast is for you. We're here to help you transform now. Hello, everyone. I'm Brad Hairston with Blue Prism. Welcome to the Transform Now podcast. Today, I'm very pleased to have as my guest, Paul Ferguson, the VP of Global Finance Shared Services at Emerson, a Fortune 500 multinational company based in St. Louis, Missouri. I will be talking with Paul about Emerson's intelligent automation journey and specifically how citizen developers play such a significant role in it. Paul, thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks, Brad. Thanks for having me. You bet. So, Paul, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about Emerson and yourself? Yeah, sure. So, Emerson is a global manufacturer and technology leader of critical infrastructure. And our mission is to make the world healthier, safer, smarter, and more sustainable. And a good example of that, Brad, the way we meet that mission is that of the manufacturers, the pharmaceutical manufacturers making the COVID vaccine, mm-hmm. 75% of them used our control systems to make those vaccines. So that's pretty cool. And then we also make things such as tracking devices in the in the cold chain. And so we also made devices that track that vaccine after it's been produced to make sure it stays at the right temperature and gets delivered to the right spot at the right time. And so really cool to be part of something much bigger than just our day-to-day responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of my personal background, so I spent a couple of years in industry and finance. Uh, I'm an accountant by trade, graduated with a county major, CPA, did work in industry, in financial reporting, cost accounting, and also spent 10 years at Ernst Young in their advisory group. And within mm-hmm. those 10 years, I spent most of my time on the Emerson account. And so then I came over to the Emerson team, led the day-to-day operations of the audit team for a couple of years. And as part of that, we launched our intelligent automation team. We saw a lot of opportunity in the finance space just to streamline our processes. Done that for the last couple of years. And then recently, I took on the role as VP Global Financial Services as we look to expand our use of shared services around the world. And automation is a big part of that. Excellent. So, Paul, can you start things out by describing the automation journey at Emerson? Yeah, sure. So the journey, I would say, started maybe uh, three years ago when I was still in the audit role. And Brad, we would do about 100 audits a year. And before every audit, we'd do a lot of prep work and be a lot of like manual copy paste, swivel chair type things. Mm -hmm. And so as we learned more about automation and bots, we started playing with Blue Prism and learned that we could automate a lot of that prep work in advance. And so we built the process to be able to take our our material, our information from one system and, you know, extract the information then paste them into our work papers. And that was really beneficial. And as working for Lisa Flavin at the time, the chief compliance officer, she was very supportive of our, you know, you know, use of automation and saw the potential. And so then we talked to the CFO, Frank, and he saw, you know, the benefits of this. And he said, hey, don't just do it for audit, do it across finance. And that turned into the COO saying, okay, don't just do it for finance, do it across the enterprise. So it started, I'd say, in audit and finance, but it's expanded much, much 
beyond that. In the first year, we had 15 projects, all in finance, all in North America. In this year, this last year, we have over 250 projects, over 150,000 hours saved, all different types of operations, so supply chain, customer care, finance, and grew our user community. When we first started, clearly, we only had a handful. And now, Brad, we have over a thousand people in our user community where we give you know, thought leadership to, weekly updates. I mean, so really built a lot of momentum over the last couple of years. Wow, that's tremendous. So, Paul, what, what's the importance of the citizen developer model to Emerson in this space around RPA? Yeah. Well, I think it really helps with speed and scale. When you think about kind of an 80-20 rule, 80% of our IT resources are focused on 20% of the projects that are more strategic and large in nature. Mm-hmm. That means we have a lot of processes that are left at individual tasks that will never make it to that strategic initiative. And so the role of a citizen developer is to help fill that void so that we can you know, take some of those day-to-day responsibilities and automate them. And when you start adding that all up, it turns into be a lot of hours saved. And frankly, then it lets people not focus on the copy-paste, the stuff that doesn't add value, and instead focus their time and skills on more value-added tasks. What was it like for you and the other citizen developers at Emerson to learn Blue Prism since you guys really didn't have a lot of IT background? Yeah, it, it was interesting. When we first started, the reason really why we picked Blue Prism was just the whole look and feel and um, we felt comfortable working in the visio like canvas and again having a finance audit background being able to build your process and see it on the canvas was really helpful and so when we first started actually our first process was automating uh, audit work papers and <laughs> when we look back we ended up having if you if you look at the canvas from left to right we probably went 20 pages to the right of just if this, then that. And so we've learned a lot along the way. Apparently, Brad, there's these, there's this thing called loops in programming. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so we learned how to use loops, of course, and be able to expedite that or be able to get much better at the building of, of, of bots and automating processes. And so it was, it was a learning process, but it was something that we were able to do. And I think really anyone that if you have maybe a power user in Excel, that you could learn this. Of course, it's going to take time and effort, but if you have the growth mindset, you definitely can learn how to use Blue Prism. I mean, we leverage a lot of things such as Blue Prism University, YouTube, things of that nature to really help us get started. And in now, like anything, I think it's become much easier to use. We're able to develop things much faster than we were two years ago. So how did you build momentum around citizen-led intelligent automation at Emerson and, and find those people across the company who were ready for this type of capability? Yeah, one of the things I think we at Emerson, our team here, we have an unfair advantage when I talk to other companies and their intelligent automation teams is that we have great executive support. So on our Steerco, we have CFO of the company, Frank. We have CFOs of our two main business platforms, the CIO, the two site CIOs from each business platform, chief compliance officer, the controller. And having that level of executive support is really helpful. And because as they go out and they do their business reviews 
they ask questions like, hey, what's your status of automation? And so that really drives them, you know, come back to us and and help us help them, right? Mm-hmm. And so that was, that's one piece of it. And then the other piece kind of adding on to that, two years ago when we could, when we could travel back in the good old days, we went to a lot of different sites, did on-site workshops sometimes for two or three days with a group of a mix of what we call pro coders, right? Those that mm-hmm. have software development skills and then the, the citizen developers. And that really helped not only showcase the capabilities, but build momentum as well. It's really neat to hear that a major impetus was was top down from the leadership themselves. That that's really yes. um, that's really remarkable. So glad to hear that. And how are you structured? What what does the operating model look like there? We're structured as you can think of it as a hub and spoke. Mm-hmm. And so we have the corporate COE, which which I'm uh, lead here, and then we have the two business platform COEs, which are ones led by Bill Blaze and one by Harmander Tunmore. And so the corporate COE's main responsibility is around things such as governance, best practices, infrastructure management. So we have a team here led by Sam Bush that manages the infrastructure environment for the whole enterprise instance. Mm-hmm. And so and we build best practices, including things such as templates that everyone else is able to leverage. In the business unit platforms, really their main uh, objectives are really to execute based on those standards and the governance that we provide. So what would you say works really well in your current operating model, Paul? Yeah, I mentioned templates. I think templates was really key for us. When we started, it's not that we didn't have templates. We probably had had more than one template. I mean, it wasn't very robust. And so one thing that we did from the center, from the corporate COE, was build templates that everyone starts with. So whether you're a a pro coder or a citizen developer, you always start with our templates. And that's been really helpful because that has all the best practices built in, the error handling. And so then the citizen developers really just have to focus on building their happy path. So that's been really helpful. And then being able to leverage reusable objects created by pro coders has been really helpful. Because everything they do, if they follow our standards and our best practices, can then be used by others. And so maybe me as a citizen developer, maybe I, I don't have the um, you know, skill sets to be able to automate a piece in Oracle. Mm-hmm. But I can tap into the pro coders that maybe have already done that. Or they can help build a object that will do what I'm trying to do for that specific piece of the process. And then move on to something else. And then that way we're able to leverage their time in the most useful way. And then me as a citizen developer, I'm able to finish my project without a lot of additional help from them. That's really neat to hear that the pro coders and the citizen developers have this working relationship and are kind of helping each other. That's really interesting. Yeah, and I think that's key, right? There's, I don't think there's a one or the other. I think it's both. I think mm-hmm. you need to have an environment where you can have, again, the pro coders focus on those more complicated and maybe more value add mm-hmm. objects, and then let the citizen developers basically consume those within their process. Right. I think you guys also do some things with the Microsoft Power platform in your environment, correct? 
Yeah, correct. And so when we think of citizen developer, it's really kind of this this off, offshoot of the whole low-code, no-code space, right? Mm-hmm. And so when we think of low-code, no-code here at Emerson, there's the Power Platform, which is the Microsoft stack, right? Like Power Automate, Power BI, Power, Power Apps, and then Blue Prism. And so each kind of plays its role and being able to leverage it, both of those those tools can be really powerful. For example, Brad, like we may have a process where every week you get an email from somebody and it has an attachment. You need to take that attachment and put it on SharePoint and then maybe mm-hmm. you need to do, perform some action in Oracle. And so we can use Power Automate to pick up that email, take the attachment or take the file, put it into the SharePoint library. Mm-hmm. And then you kick off the Blue Prism API, which then goes and kicks off the Blue Prism bot. And so that's really powerful because we're using, then we don't have to use a Blue Prism bot to just constantly be checking the email and see if something came in. Mm-hmm. And so combining those tools have been really, really powerful. And we've it's been a big advantage for us, I feel like, when I talk to some other companies that are in their intelligent automation team. Mm, that's great. Paul, you mentioned templates. I'd like to go back to that and just ask you to maybe give us a little bit more explanation of what types of templates the corporate COE is providing to the citizen developer community. Yeah, we have two templates that everybody uses, Brad. One is for getting the data, which is what we call our load queue template. Mm -hmm. And what we do there is we have a standard Excel sheet that is used as a configuration file. And it has a table built in within the Excel sheet. And then within the low queue template, we have in there as part of our standard like MS Graph API. And so when that template is or when that process is kicked off, it kicks off the Graph API, which then just reads the data from Excel without even ever having to open Excel or anything like that. And so that takes the data and loads it into a work queue. Mm-hmm. And then we have a separate template, which actually um, processes the logic. So we call it the logic template. And in there, that's where most of your work is done, right? All your work steps, like open this website, type this information in, hit enter, do it again, right? Right. And in there, we have all the standards built in. So the load queue process, all the error handling. So if something errors out, it follows a standard error error path. And also has... uh, typical or our, a lot of the APIs, again, going back to MS Graph, so APIs to either work with Excel, SharePoint, or Outlook, all built in. And the one thing I should mention, too, is we use yeah, one of your partners, we use RPA Supervisor to manage mm-hmm. our queues. And so those logic templates actually are ran by RPA Supervisor. It helps prioritize the queue items, which has been really helpful for us as we expanded our program. Interesting. How how do you establish and maintain the proper governance in your citizen development model with regard to template usage and and other things? Yes, yeah, so we have our uh, corporate COE team. We manage that as one of the core responsibilities we provide. So we manage access to the objects. We try to do like this check in check out type uh, process, and so we mm-hmm. have an individual Siraj who watches that. It's really important that we keep those objects clean and up to date because there are a lot of processes depend on them. But I'll say it is a challenge, especially in a citizen developer environment, where you could have a lot of different changes happening at the same time in your dev environment. 
And so that's an area that we focus on and an area that we have to make sure that we continue to maintain focus on because if your objects get out of whack, then everything else falls apart pretty quickly. So besides getting object maintenance under control, what, what other challenges have you experienced at the COE level? Yeah, I wouldn't say a challenge per se, but one of the things I guess you have to recognize when you use more citizen developers is you'll probably have more projects completed, but less hours in terms of ROI. And for us, that was okay. We just wanted to get started, right? A lot of times we talk about, okay, do you start from the top down and look for this unicorn of a project or process that has like tens of thousands of hours in it? Mm-hmm. Or do you start from the bottom up and build momentum and do incremental kind of individual, a bunch of singles versus a bunch of home runs, right? Right. And I think the answer is you just have to start, right? There, I don't know if there is a right or wrong answer. You just have to start. And so as we've done a fair amount of citizen developer, I think our opportunity now going forward is how do we look for more end-to-end processes that we can get more hours out of? Our citizen developers are typically more of a task or a piece within a process. Mm-hmm. As we look to go forward and as we expand our, our or as the pro coders, they typically focus on more of the larger end-to-end processes. And so that's an area I think we have in it as an opportunity is just expanding our citizen developers in larger end-to-end processes. Got it. Paul, how do citizen-developed automations at Emerson get promoted up to, you know, enterprise solutions? Yeah, citizen, whether you're a citizen developer or a pro-coder, the process for putting something into production is the same. So you still start in a dev environment, go to UAT, and then go into prod, and there's testing along the way. There's a code review that we do before it goes from UAT to prod. Mm-hmm. And so really, essentially, similar path. The one thing is I will mention, really, and again, this is true whether you're a pro coder or a citizen developer, before you even get started in Blue Prism, in our environment, we make sure that you do the training. So we make you do the foundational training course. Then we also have more of an Emersonized version of the foundational training course mm-hmm. that everyone has to take. And once you take that, then we give you access to our dev environment. But But once you get into dev, go from dev to prod, it's the same whether you're a pro coder or a citizen developer. Paul, what have been the keys to success overall with your citizen-led intelligent automation at Emerson? Yeah, first and foremost, it starts with having the right team. And I think very fortunate to have the, the team that we have here. I think everyone here, everyone on team is dedicated. They're lifetime learners. They're passionate mm-hmm. about this space. We're constantly sharing information back and forth about articles and YouTubes and podcasts and all that to try to keep up with the emerging trend. And so having the right people in the right place is critical and, again, fortunate to have that here at Emerson. Then also having the vision for me, especially having the vision to, as we expand the use of our shared services, whenever you talk about shared services or global business services, right, the the future is automation. And so our vision is to be able to take what we've learned so far in our citizen developer model, combined with our pro coders, and really, at the end of the day, provide world-class financial services to our business partners internally that help streamline processes, make processes more efficient, uh, cost-effective. And so having that vision of 
you know, use automation and mm-hmm. stick into it and, you know, the see it come true, I think is really important. Paul, would you say that without a citizen development model, the intelligent automation program at Emerson would not have grown as quickly and effectively as it has? Without a doubt, it would not have grown as quickly as it has. I mean, citizen development, I think, is also kind of a key enabler of digital transformation. You know, mm-hmm. use more buzzwords. But if we didn't have that momentum from the ground up, I think it'd be really difficult to to be able to expand the, the use of intelligent automation and Blue Prism. I think being able to get out and, and work with process owners directly and letting them know that, hey, the there's things that you can do yourself as well. You don't have to wait in line um, for someone else to do this for you. Mm-hmm. You can do this stuff yourself. And I think that's been really powerful and it's built momentum. Right. So what does the next phase of automation look like at Emerson? What are you guys focused on? We focus a lot on end-to-end processes. And so how do we take the lessons we've learned from automating these individual tasks and string them together to make end-to-end processes. I think that, in the end, is going to provide us the biggest value in terms of automation, whether it be ROI of ours or just providing better services to our business partners. Hmm. Do you and your team anticipate using more intelligent skills in the future? Is that something that you're exploring? Yeah, absolutely. Incorporating skills such as intelligent OCR, is going to be something that we're going to leverage a lot more going forward. We use a little bit of it now, but I think we have a lot more opportunity to use intelligent Mm -hmm. OCR in our automation projects. And then also I think there's chances to use some of the AI skill sets. So whether it be computer vision, whether you're trying to look at something on a screen, Mm -hmm. or it's like machine learning, such as sales forecasting, I think that's an area that we still have not leveraged yet. Right. And I think it's an area of opportunity as we go forward. Excellent. Well, Paul, thank you so much for giving us some time today and and talking about what's going on at Emerson and citizen development. It's such a hot topic these days, and it's really nice to hear how successful it's been at a valued Blue Prism customer like Emerson. Really appreciate your thoughts. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks so much, Brad, and thanks for everything you do. We do learn a lot from your podcast, so keep it up, and we appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to Transform Now. For more insightful discussions on digital transformation and more, check out our podcast channel, where you'll find all of our previous episodes. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. And if you like what you heard, please leave us a review. For more information about digital transformation and the future of work, Check out blueprism.com to learn how Blue Prism's digital workforce is enabling enterprise transformation now.